chapter twenty five of paul clifford by edward bulwer lytton this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter twenty five falsehood in him was not the useless lie of boasting pride or laughing vanity it was the gainful the persuading art etc crab on with the horses off to canterbury tramp tramp o'er pebble and splash splash through puddle hurrah how swiftly speeds the post so merry here laws are all inviolate none lay traps for the traveller every highway's clear here he was interrupted by a knife with drat your eyes your money or your life don juan misfortunes are like the creations of cadmus they destroy one another roused from the torpor of mind occasioned by the loss of her lover at the sudden illness of the squire lucy had no thought for herself no thought for any one for anything but her father till long after the earth had closed over his remains the very activity of the latter grief was less dangerous than the quiet of the former and when the first keenness of sorrow passed away and her mind gradually and mechanically returned to the remembrance of clifford it was with an intensity less strong and less fatal to her health and happiness than before she thought it unnatural and criminal to allow anything else to grieve her while she had so sacred a grief as that of her loss and her mind once aroused into resistance to passion betrayed a native strength little to have been expected from her apparent character sir william brandon lost no time in returning to town after the burial of his brother he insisted upon taking his niece with him and though with real reluctance she yielded to his wishes and accompanied him by the squire's will indeed sir william was appointed guardian to lucy and she yet wanted more than a year of her majority brandon with a delicacy very uncommon to him where women for he was a confirmed woman-hater were concerned provided everything that he thought could in any way conduce to her comfort he ordered it to be understood in his establishment that she was its mistress he arranged and furnished according to what he imagined to be her taste a suite of apartments for her sole accommodation a separate carriage and servants were appropriated to her use and he sought by a perpetual presence of books or flowers or music to occupy her thoughts and atone for the solitude to which his professional duties obliged him so constantly to consign her these attentions which showed this strange man in a new light seemed to bring out many little latent amiabilities which were usually embedded in the callosities of his rocky nature and even despite her causes for grief and the deep melancholy which consumed her lucy was touched with gratitude at kindness doubly soothing in one who however urbane and polished was by no means addicted to the little attentions that are considered so gratifying by women and yet for which they so often despise while they like 
him who affords them there was much in brandon that wound itself insensibly around the heart to one more experienced than lucy this involuntary attraction might not have been incompatible with suspicion and could scarcely have been associated with esteem and yet for all who knew him intimately even for the penetrating and selfish malevolent, the attraction existed unprincipled crafty hypocritical even base when it suited his purpose secretly sneering at the dupes he made and knowing no code save that of interest and ambition viewing men only as machines and opinions only as ladders there was yet a tone of powerful feeling sometimes elicited from a heart that could at the same moment have sacrificed a whole people to the pettiest personal object and sometimes with lucy the eloquence or irony of his conversation deepened into a melancholy a half-suppressed gentleness of sentiment that accorded with the state of her own mind and interested her kind feelings powerfully in his it was these peculiarities in his converse which made lucy love to hear him and she gradually learned to anticipate with a gloomy pleasure the hour in which after the occupations of the day he was accustomed to join her you look unwell uncle to-night she said when one evening he entered the room with looks more fatigued than usual and rising she leaned tenderly over him and kissed his forehead ay said brandon utterly unwon by and even unheeding the caress our way of life soon passes into the sere and yellow leaf and when macbeth grieved that he might not look to have that which should accompany old age he had grown doting and grieved for what was worthless nay uncle honour love obedience troops of friends these surely were worth the sighing for pooh not worth a single sigh the foolish wishes we form in youth have something noble and something bodily in them but those of age are utter shadows and the shadows of pygmies why what is honour after all what is this good name among men only a sort of heathenish idol set up to be adored by one set of fools and scorned by another do you not observe lucy that the man you hear most praised by the party you meet to-day is most abused by that which you meet to-morrow public men are only praised by their party and their party sweet lucy are such base minions that it moves one's spleen to think one is so little as to be useful to them thus a good name is only the good name of a sect and the members of that sect are only marvellous proper knaves but posterity does justice to those who really deserve fame posterity can you believe that a man who knows what life is cares for the penny whistles of grown children after his death posterity lucy no posterity is but the same perpetuity of fools and rascals and even were justice desirable at their hands they could not deal it do men agree whether charles stuart was a liar or a martyr for how many ages have we believed nero a monster a writer now asks as if demonstrating a problem what real historian could doubt that nero was a paragon the patriarchs of scripture have been declared by modern philosophy to be a series of astronomical hieroglyphs and with greater show of truth we are assured that the patriot tell never existed posterity the word has galled men enough without my 
adding to the number i who loathe the living can scarcely venerate the unborn lucy believe me that no man can mix largely with men in political life and not despise everything that in youth he adored age leaves us only one feeling contempt are you belied then said lucy pointing to a newspaper the organ of the party opposed to brandon are you belied when you are here called ambitious when they call you selfish and grasping i know they wrong you but i confess that i have thought you ambitious yet can he who despises men desire their good opinion their good opinion repeated brandon mockingly do we want the bray of the asses we ride no he resumed after a pause it is power not honour it is the hope of elevating oneself in every respect in the world without as well as in the world of one's own mind it is this hope which makes me labour where i might rest and will continue the labour to my grave lucy continued brandon fixing his keen eyes on his niece have you no ambition have power and pomp and place no charm for your mind none said lucy quietly and simply indeed yet there are times when i have thought i recognized my blood in your veins you were sprung from a once noble but a fallen race are you ever susceptible to the weakness of ancestral pride you say answered lucy that we should care not for those who live after us much less i imagine should we care for those who have lived ages before prettily answered said brandon smiling i will tell you at one time or another what effect that weakness you despise already once had long after your age upon me you are early wise on some points profit by my experience and be so on all that is to say in despising all men and all things said lucy also smiling well never mind my creed you may be wise after your own but trust one dearest lucy who loves you purely and disinterestedly and who is weighed with scales balanced to a hair all the advantages to be gleaned from an earth in which i verily think the harvest was gathered before we were put into it trust me lucy and never think love that maiden's dream so valuable as rank and power pause well before you yield to the former accept the latter the moment they are offered you love puts you at the feet of another and that other a tyrant rank puts others at your feet and all those thus subjected are your slaves lucy moved her chair so that the new position concealed her face and did not answer and brandon in an altered tone continued would you think lucy that i once was fool enough to imagine that love was a blessing and to be eagerly sought for i gave up my hopes my chances of wealth of distinction all that had burned from the years of boyhood into my very heart i chose poverty obscurity humiliation but i chose also love what was my reward lucy brandon i was deceived deceived brandon paused and lucy took his hand affectionately but did not break the silence brandon resumed yes i was deceived but i in my turn had a revenge and a fitting revenge for it was not the revenge of hatred but and the speaker laughed sardonically of contempt enough of this lucy what i wish to say to you is this grown men and women know more of the truth of things than ye young persons think for 
love is a mere bauble and no human being ever exchanged for it one solid advantage without repentance believe this and if rank ever puts itself under those pretty feet be sure not to spurn the footstool so saying with a slight laugh brandon lighted his chamber candle and left the room for the night as soon as the lawyer reached his own apartment he indited to lord malever the following epistle why dear malever do you not come to town i want you your party wants you perhaps the king wants you and certainly if you are serious about my niece the care of your own love suit should induce you yourself to want to come hither i have paved the way for you and i think with a little management you may anticipate a speedy success but lucy is a strange girl and perhaps after all though you ought to be on the spot you had better leave her as much as possible in my hands i know human nature malever and that knowledge is the engine by which i will work your triumph as for the young lover i am not quite sure whether it be not better for our sake that lucy should have experienced a disappointment on that score for when a woman has once loved and the love is utterly hopeless she puts all vague ideas of other lovers altogether out of her head she becomes contented with a husband whom she can esteem sweet canter but you malever want lucy to love you and so she will after you have married her she will love you partly from the advantages she derives from you partly from familiarity to say nothing of your good qualities for my part i think domesticity goes so far that i believe a woman always inclined to be affectionate to a man whom she has once seen in his nightcap however you should come to town my poor brother's recent death allows us to see no one the coast will be clear from rivals grief has softened my niece's heart in a word you could not have a better opportunity come by the way you say one of the reasons which made you think ill of this captain clifford was your impression that in the figure of one of his comrades you recognized something that appeared to you to resemble one of the fellows who robbed you a few months ago i understand that at this moment the police are in active pursuit of three most accomplished robbers nor should i be at all surprised if in this very clifford were to be found the leader of the gang namely the notorious lovett i hear that the said leader is a clever and a handsome fellow of a gentlemanlike address and that his general associates are two men of the exact stamp of the worthies you have so amusingly described to me i heard this yesterday from nabin the police officer with whom i once scraped acquaintance on a trial and in my grudge against your rival i hinted at my suspicion that he captain clifford might not impossibly prove this rinaldo rinaldini of the roads nabin caught at my hint at once so that if it be founded on a true guess i may flatter my conscience as well as my friendship by the hope that i have had some hand in hanging this adonis of my nieces whether my guess be true or not nabham says he is sure of this lovett for one of his gang has promised to betray him hang these aspiring dogs i thought treachery was confined to politics and that thought makes me turn to public matters in which all people are turning with the most edifying celerity sir william brandon's epistle found malever in a fitting mood for lucy and for london our worthy peer had been not a little chagrined by lucy's sudden departure from bath and while in doubt whether or not to follow her the papers had informed him of the squire's death malever being then fully aware of the impossibility of immediately urging his suit endeavoured like the true philosopher he was to reconcile himself to his hope deferred 
few people were more easily susceptible of consolation than lord malevolor he found an agreeable lady of a face more unfaded than her reputation to whom he entrusted the care of relieving his leisure moments from ennui and being a lively woman the confidant discharged the trust with great satisfaction to lord malevolor for the space of a fortnight so that he naturally began to feel his love for lucy gradually wearing away by absence and other ties but just as the triumph of time over passion was growing decisive the lady left bath in company with a tall guardsman and malevra received brandon's letter these two events recalled our excellent lover to a sense of his allegiance and there being now at bath no particular attraction to counterbalance the ardour of his affection lord malevra ordered the horses to his carriage and attended only by his valet set out for london nothing perhaps could convey a better portrait of the world's spoiled darling than a sight of lord malevra's thin fastidious features peering forth through the closed window of his luxurious travelling chariot the rest of the outer man being carefully enveloped in furs half a dozen novels during the seat of the carriage and a lean french dog exceedingly like its master sniffing in vain for the fresh air which to the imagination of malevra was peopled with all sorts of asthmas and catarrhs malevra got out of his carriage at salisbury to stretch his limbs and to amuse himself with a cutlet our nobleman was well known on the roads and as nobody could be more affable he was equally popular the officious landlord bustled into the room to wait himself upon his lordship and tell all the news of the place well mr cheerley said malevra bestowing a penetrating glance on his cutlet the bad times i see have not ruined your cook indeed my lord your lordship is very good and the times indeed are very bad very bad indeed is there enough gravy perhaps your lordship will try the pickled onions the what onions oh ah nothing can be better but i never touch them so are the roads good your lordship has i hope found them good to salisbury ah, i believe so oh to be sure excellent to salisbury but how are they to london we have had wet weather lately i think no my lord here the weather has been dry as a bone or a cutlet muttered malever and the host continued as for the roads themselves my lord so far as the roads are concerned they are pretty good my lord but i can't say as how there is not something about them that might be mended by no means improbable you mean the inns and the turnpikes rejoined malever your lordship is pleased to be facetious no i meant something worse than them what the cooks no my lord the highwaymen the highwaymen indeed said malever anxiously for he had with him a case of diamonds which at that time were on grand occasions often the ornaments of a gentleman's dress in the shape of buttons buckles etc he had also a tolerably large sum of ready money about him a blessing he had lately begun to find very rare by the way the rascals robbed me before on this very road my pistols shall be loaded this time mr cheerley you had better order the horses one may as well escape the nightfall certainly my lord certainly jem the horses immediately your lordship will have another cutlet not a morsel a tart a dup not for the world bring the cheese john much obliged to you mr cheerley but i have dined and if i have not done justice to your good cheer thank yourself and the highwaymen where do these highwaymen attack one why my lord the neighbourhood of reading is i believe the worst part but they are very troublesome all the way to salt hill damnation the very neighbourhood in which the knaves robbed me before you may well call them troublesome why the deuce don't the police clear the country of such movable species of trouble indeed my lord i don't know but they say as how captain lovett the famous robber be one of the set and nobody can catch him i fear 
because i suppose the dog has the sense to bribe as well as bully what is the general number of these ruffians why my lord sometimes one sometimes two but seldom more than three malever drew himself up my dear diamonds and my pretty purse thought he i may save you yet have you been long plagued with the fellows he asked after a pause as he was paying the bill why my lord we have and we have not i fancy as how they have a sort of a haunt near reading for sometimes they are intolerable just about there and sometimes they are quiet for months together for instance my lord we thought them all gone some time ago but lately they have regularly stopped every one though i hear as how they have cleared no great booty as yet here the waiter announced the horses and malever slowly re-entered his carriage among the bows and smiles of the charmed spirits of the hostelry during the daylight malever who was naturally of a gallant and fearless temper thought no more of the highwaymen a species of danger so common at that time that men almost considered it disgraceful to suffer the dread of it to be a cause of delay on the road travellers seldom deemed it best to lose time in order to save money and they carried with them a stout heart and a brace of pistols instead of sleeping all night on the road malever rather a preux chevalier was precisely of this order of wayfarers and a night at an inn when it was possible to avoid it was to him as to most rich englishmen a tedious torture zealously to be shunned it never therefore entered into the head of our excellent nobleman despite his experience that his diamonds and his purse might be saved from all danger if he would consent to deposit them with his own person at some place of hospitable reception or indeed was it till he was within a stage of reading and the twilight had entirely closed in that he troubled his head much on the matter but while the horses were putting to he summoned the post-boys to him and after regarding their countenances with the eye of a man accustomed to read physiognomies he thus eloquently addressed them gentlemen i am informed that there is some danger of being robbed between this town and salt hill now i beg to inform you that i think it next to impossible for four horses properly directed to be stopped by less than four men to that number i shall probably yield to a less number i shall most assuredly give nothing but bullets you understand me the post-boys grinned touched their hats and malever slowly continued if therefore mark me one two or three men stop your horses and i find that the use of your whips and spurs are ineffectual in releasing the animals from the hold of the robbers i intend with these pistols you observe them to shoot at the gentlemen who detain you but as though i am generally a dead shot my eyesight wavers a little in the dark i think it very possible that i may have the misfortune to shoot you gentlemen instead of the robbers you see the rascals will be close by you sufficiently so to put you in jeopardy unless indeed you knock them down with the butt end of your whips i merely mention this that you may be prepared should such a mistake occur you need not be uneasy beforehand for i will take every possible care of your widows should it not and should we reach salt hill in safety i intend to testify my sense of the excellence of your driving by a present of ten guineas apiece gentlemen i have done with you i give you my honour that i am serious in what i have said to you do me the favour to mount malever then called his favourite servant who sat in the dicky in front rumble tumbles not being then in use smoothson said he the last time we were attacked on this very road you behaved damnably see that you do better this time or it may be the worse for you you have pistols to-night about you eh well that's right and you are sure they're loaded very well now then if we are stopped don't lose a moment jump down and fire one of your pistols at the first robber keep the other for a sure aim one shot is to intimidate the second to slay you comprehend my pistols are in excellent order i suppose lend me the ramrod 
so so no trick this time they would kill a fly my lord provided your lordship fired straight upon it i do not doubt you said malever light the lanterns and tell the postboys to drive on it was a frosty and tolerably clear night the dusk of the twilight had melted away beneath the moon which had just risen and the hoary rime glittered from the bushes and the sward breaking into a thousand diamonds as it caught the rays of the stars on went the horses briskly their breath steaming against the fresh air and their hoofs sounding cheerily on the hard ground the rapid motion of the carriage the bracing coolness of the night and the excitement occasioned by anxiety and the forethought of danger all conspired to stir the languid blood of lord malever into a vigorous and exhilarated sensation natural in youth to his character but utterly contrary to the nature he had imbibed from the customs of his manhood he felt his pistols and his hands trembled a little as he did so not the least from fear but from that restlessness and eagerness peculiar to nervous persons placed in a new situation in this country he said to himself i have been only once robbed in the course of my life it was then a little my fault for before i took to my pistols i should have been certain they were loaded to-night i shall be sure to avoid a similar blunder and my pistols have an eloquence in their barrels which is exceedingly moving humph another milestone these fellows drive well but we are entering a pretty-looking spot for messieurs the disciples of robin hood it was indeed a picturesque spot by which the carriage was now rapidly whirling a few miles from maidenhead on the henley road our readers will probably remember a small tract of forest-like land lying on either side of the road to the left the green waste bears away among the trees and bushes and one skilled in the country may pass from that spot through a landscape as little tenanted as green sherwood was formerly into the chains of wild common and deep beech woods which border a certain portion of oxfordshire and contrast so beautifully the general characteristics of that county at the time we speak of the country was even far wilder than it is now and just on that point where the henley and the reading roads unite was a spot communicating then with the wasteland we have described than which perhaps few places could be more adapted to the purposes of such true men as have recourse to the primary law of nature certain it was that on this part of the road malever looked more anxiously from his window than he had hitherto done and apparently the increased earnestness of his survey was not altogether without meeting its reward about a hundred yards to the left three dark objects were just discernible in the shade a moment more and the objects emerging grew into the forms of three men well mounted and riding at a brisk trot only three thought malever that is well in leaning from the front window with a pistol in either hand malever cried out to the postboys in a stern tone drive on and recollect what i told you remember he added to his servant the postboys scarcely looked round but their spurs were buried in their horses and the animals flew on like lightning the three strangers made a halt as if in conference their decision was prompt two wheeled round from their comrade and darted at full gallop by the carriage malever's pistol was already protruded from the front window when to his astonishment and to the utter baffling of his ingenious admonition to his drivers he beheld the two postboys knocked from their horses one after the other with a celerity that scarcely allowed him an exclamation and before he had recovered his self-possession the horses taking fright and their fright being skilfully taken advantage of by the highwaymen the carriage was fairly whirled into a ditch on the right side of the road and upset meanwhile smoothson had leaped from his station in the front 
and having fired though without effect at the third robber who approached menacingly towards him he gained the time to open the carriage door and extricate his master the moment malever bound himself on terra firma he prepared his courage for offensive measures and he and smoothson standing side by side in front of the unfortunate vehicle presented no unformidable aspect to the enemy the two robbers who had so decisively rid themselves of the postboys acted with no less determination towards the horses one of them dismounted cut the traces and suffered the plunging quadrupeds to go whither they listed this measure was not however allowed to be taken with impunity a ball from lever's pistol passed through the hat of the highwayman with an aim so slightly erring that it whizzed among the locks of the astounded hero with a sound that sent a terror to his heart no less from a love of his head than from anxiety for his hair the shock staggered him for a moment and a second shot from the hands of malever would have probably finished his earthly career had not the third robber who had hitherto remained almost inactive thrown himself from his horse which tutored to such docility remained perfectly still and advancing with a bold step and a levelled pistol towards malever and his servant said in a resolute voice gentlemen it is useless to struggle we are well armed and resolved on effecting our purpose your persons shall be safe if you lay down your arms and also such part of your property as you may particularly wish to retain but if you resist i cannot answer for your lives malever had listened patiently to this speech in order that he might have more time for adjusting his aim his reply was a bullet which grazed the side of the speaker and tore away the skin without inflicting any more dangerous wound muttering a curse upon the error of his aim and resolute to the last when his blood was once up malever backed one pace drew his sword and threw himself into the attitude of a champion well skilled in the use of the instrument he wore but that incomparable personage was in a fair way of ascertaining what happiness in the world to come is reserved for a man who has spared no pains to make himself comfortable in this for the two first and most active robbers having finished the achievement of the horses now approached malever and the taller of them still indignant at the late peril to his hair cried out in a stentorian voice by jove you old fool if you don't throw down your toasting fork i'll be the death of you the speaker suited the action to the word by cocking an immense pistol malever stood his ground but smoothson retreated and stumbling against the wheel of the carriage fell backward the next instant the second highwayman had possessed himself of the valet's pistols and quietly seated on the fallen man's stomach amused himself by inspecting the contents of the domestic's pockets malever was now alone and his stubbornness so enraged the tall bully that his hand was already on his trigger when the third robber whose side malevra's bullet had grazed thrust himself between the two hold ned he said he pushing back his comrade's pistol and you my lord whose rashness ought to cost you your life learn that men can rob generously so saying with one dexterous stroke from the robber's riding-whip malevra's sword flew upwards and alighted at the distance of ten yards from its owner approach now said the victor to his comrades rifle the carriage and with all dispatch the tall highwayman hastened to execute this order and the lesser one having satisfactorily finished the inquisition into mr smoothson's pockets drew forth from his own pouch a tolerably thick rope with this he tied the hands of the prostrate valet moralizing as he wound the rope round and round the wrists of the fallen man in the following edifying strain lie still sir lie still i beseech you all wise men are fatalists and no proverb is more pithy than that which says what can't be cured must be endured 
lie still i tell you little perhaps do you think that you are performing one of the noblest functions of humanity yes sir you are filling the pockets of the destitute and by my present action i am securing you from any weakness of the flesh likely to impede so praiseworthy an end and so hazard the excellence of your action there sir your hands are tight lie still and reflect as he said this with three gentle applications of his feet the moralist rolled mr smoothson into the ditch and hastened to join his lengthy comrade in his pleasing occupation in the interim lever and the third robber who in the true spirit of government remained dignified and inactive while his followers plundered what he certainly designed to share if not to monopolize stood within a few feet of each other face to face lever had now convinced himself that all endeavour to save his property was hopeless and he had also the consolation of thinking he had done his best to defend it he therefore bade all his thoughts return to the care of his person he adjusted his fur collar around his neck with great sang-froid drew on his gloves and patting his terrified poodle who sat shivering on its haunches with one paw raised and nervously trembling he said you sir seem to be a civil person and i really should have felt quite sorry if i had had the misfortune to wound you you are not hurt i trust pray if i may inquire how am i to proceed my carriage is in the ditch and my horses by this time are probably at the end of the world as for that matter said the robber whose face like those of his comrades was closely masked in the approved fashion of highwaymen of that day i believe you will have to walk to maidenhead it is not far and the night is fine a very trifling hardship indeed said malever ironically but his new acquaintance made no reply nor did he appear at all desirous of entering into any further conversation with malever the earl therefore after watching the operations of the other robbers for some moments turned on his heel and remained humming an opera tune with dignified indifference until the pair had finished rifling the carriage and seizing malever proceeded to rifle him with a curled lip and a raised brow that supreme personage suffered himself to be as the taller robber expressed it cleaned out his watch his rings his purse and his snuff-box all went it was long since the rascals had captured such a booty they had scarcely finished when the postboys who had now begun to look about them uttered a simultaneous cry and at some distance a wagon was seen heavily approaching malever really wanted his money to say nothing of his diamonds and so soon as he perceived assistance at hand a new hope darted within him his sword still lay on the ground he sprang towards it seized it uttered a shout for help and threw himself fiercely on the highwaymen who had disarmed him but the robber warding off the blade with his whip retreated to his saddle which he managed despite of malevra's lunges to regain with impunity the other two had already mounted and within a minute afterwards not a vestige of the trio was visible this is what may fairly be called single blessedness said malever as dropping his useless sword he thrust his hands into his pockets leaving our peerless peer to find his way to maidenhead on foot accompanied to say nothing of the poodle by one wagoner two postboys and the released mr smoothson all four charming him with their condolences we follow with our story the steps of the three alieni appetentes chapter twenty five